about speaking to you, we learn about you. Uh, there's only uh, one way to speak to you, or at least we could say in the limits of your word, uh, by your will, by your person, by your character, by your purposes, and uh, in, in what we speak to you about must be in those parameters. And so to be there, we must know of you. And so to learn of you is to learn to pray. To pray is to learn more about you. You have made it, Father, so that we can grow in grace and knowledge, even though we're sinners and make mistakes and we sin. And uh, you've given us by your grace, Father, the ability to confess and recover and to leave behind what is behind and to reach forward to that which is ahead. And so, Father, through your word, we ask that you speak to us again today by means of your spirit. And we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So, um, every believer is a royal priest. I had these passages and I took them out because we're going to get to that in a little more detail later. But uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2... In uh, other passages, but mainly First Peter two, that reveals that we're we're all every every believer in Christ, every member of the body of Christ is a priest, a believer priest. Uh, since we are royalty in the family of God, we're we can call ourselves royal priests, and we're a nation of priests, as Peter writes it. Um, and so as a, a nation of priests, we have this, as all priests do, we have an obligation and also a privilege. Uh, those two things uh, go together all the time. Uh, when you were given privilege, there's obligation with it. Uh, the great thing about uh, God's obligations is that they're all pointed towards the same life, uh, the same quality of life, the same joyful, powerful, uh, but one that even goes through suffering, but uh, yet, uh, and we deny ourselves, and and that's part of the life too, but all of that is pointed towards the great life that he's given us, which is the eternal life of the Trinity. And so, uh, as priests, uh, one of our privileges is to proclaim God's excellencies to the world, uh, it is the job of the church in this age to reveal Christ to the world. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we're told exactly how best to do that. And it's, uh, the, and it's not to disparage evangelists, uh, even a street evangelist, or you out there talking to your neighbors and, or uh, passing out tracts or whatever it is that people do. But, uh, the Apostle John wrote, Jesus said the same thing, and I'm trying to think if it's in Paul's literature too, that it's our love for one another that is truly the proclamation of God in this world. The love, for the, ch- the love in the church for one another. And that's also a part of our priesthood because I'm no more of a priest than you are and vice versa. You're a saint, I'm a saint. Every time I say that, I think of uh, a family member of mine who asked my first daughter if she knew the saints. And my Alyssa was, I don't know, she was like a young teenager at the time. And she said, no, I don't know who, what you're talking about. <laughs> and they were, they were expecting answers for like Catholic saints. And, and then they, the person, the family member looked at me and said, wow, and you're a pastor. You know, I got one of those again. <laughs> And I'm like, well, you know, we're all priests in the body. I'm sorry. I mean, we're all saints in the body of Christ. Not that you would know that. But anyway, moving on. Uh, But the other uh, privilege that we have, which turns out to be a requirement, um, a... a, uh, a, something that that is we're expected to do is to pray. Right? Prayer is not, I can say this more confidently than I ever could, prayer is not an extra. Prayer, prayer is not an option. It's not for some. It's for every believer. 
if we don't have a healthy prayer life, we don't have a healthy relationship with God. And that's just a fact in the scripture. So every believer is a every believer in Christ is a royal priest in this age, and so all of us are qualified to approach the throne of grace with confidence and boldness. Oh, there goes my phone. <laughs> Prayer is to the Father. Here, let me go. <laughs> Why would anybody? Call? All right, good. It's off. It's a spam call. I got to remember to turn it off. Prayer, uh, prayers to the Father. All right. So we have that. Uh, we'll look at here briefly some of the passages that people use to say that they should pray to the Son, or that they can pray legitimately to the Son. And I'm not. You know, I, we're just look at them, and you can make your own decision. It's definitely not conclusive. Uh, I would I would say in, in most expositors that prayer to the Father, even those who say you sh- can pray to the Son, always put a ca- at least from what I've read, they put a caveat in there at the end and say, well, there's not much of this in the Bible, so make sure you pray to the Father, so that you know they're covering all their bases. Uh, but there are, you know, the the Father is the planner and the decreer. Uh, the the Father, Jesus prayed to the Father. The Father is the one who sent the Son. The Son prays to the Father, to the Father to send the Holy Spirit. And so the Father is has this Father uh, role. And remember, the Trinity voluntarily takes their role. And you know how that all works is a mystery to us. But we we can see it clearly that the Father is the one who plans. Uh, the one who decrees before the foundation of the world is the Father who's decreeing. But that, that doesn't mean there isn't a, an enormous amount of overlap, right? Because you say if the Father's the decreer, is he the creator? But then you find the Son is the creator in uh, Colossians 1 and John 1. And we also find the Holy Spirit doing some creation at the beginning of Genesis, Genesis 1-2, moving over the surfaces of the water. Then there's who raises Jesus from the dead. It turns out all three of them are involved. And so there's definitely overlap. But um, I I think uh, that most convincing in the Bible is that we should pray to the Father. And that is that when asked how to pray, Jesus told us to pray directly to the Father alone. So when he was asked, how should we pray by the disciples, he said, as you know, our Father. He said, especially in Luke 11, he said, say this, our Father. Uh, also, the passages in which Jesus told us to pray in his name, he tells us to pray to the Father in his name. Uh, there's one exception to that that we'll look at. But let's go to, we're at Acts 7, verse 59. And here are the passages we'll look at that people use. I left out the one in Revelation, which is kind of an outlier, but we'll look at it. Um, a few passages seem like prayer to the Son. John 14, 14, where that's the one that really stands out. He's going to say, ask me anything in my name. Uh, Acts seven sixty, where Stephen seems to pray to the Son in 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Uh, compared to this, are probably about a dozen or so, maybe more, of passages that clearly tell us to pray to the Father. So anyway, let's look at Stephen here. At first I was going to leave these passages out and just tell you, hey, pray to the Father and that'll be the end of it. (laughs) But I think if you have the curiosity and you want to know, well, here they are. And if you're curious like me, I would want to know. So Acts 7.59, they went on stoning Stephen as he called to the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. Uh, So first we have he calls to the Lord. This is not the usual word for prayer, which is prosukamai. Which prosukamai is used about 80 times in the New Testament for, and it's always used for prayer. Uh, Eukamai is a, a, a Greek verb that means to cry out, 
but prosukamai means to cry out to or cry out face to face in the presence of. That's what pros means is the prefix. And, and so prosukamai is the common word. It's not the only word used for prayer. But here, first off, what we have is a present participle. It's adverbial which is, see, this is where all my Greek education is coming in because I actually understand what that means now. And <clears throat> this present participle is, is happening at the same time as the main verb. So what's the main verb, unfortunately, for Stephen? Is he's getting stoned, uh, you know, not, not in the drug sense, but with rocks. And uh, he's getting stoned, but simultaneously as he's getting stoned, which comes out in the English quite well, that he is crying out to the Lord. This word is epikaleo, which means to cry out. And it is not one of the common words for prayer. In some passages, it's used for crying out to the Father and also to cry out to the Lord Jesus. But in several passages, it's used for crying out or appealing to Caesar. And so it's uh, not necessarily prayer. Uh, but prayer or not, before we leave Stephen here, we should not detract from the incredible spiritual courage of Stephen, who instead of crying out to the crowd to beg them to stop stoning him to death, rather than that, he's crying out to the Lord. A point that is often made about this prayer, if it is a prayer, is how closely it resembles Jesus' prayer from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen says pretty much the same thing, and you would, Stephen would have known as a devout man that he was, a devout spiritual man, uh, so early on in the church, he would have known exactly what Christ said from the cross, and it seems that he was mimicking that. So maybe that's the reason why he's crying out to the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> but he does cry out to the Lord in Stella, uh, just in the same fashion. Then he says, uh, receive my spirit. Uh, just as exactly the Lord said from the cross. The things with these passages are that we're all believer priests and we all have to wrestle with them. If you say, if, if you read this and then another passage and you say, you know what, I think I should pray to Jesus, there's no one, no one can tell you not to. But when there's so many passages that say pray to the Father, I would rather do that. Uh, especially because Jesus prayed to the Father. But, you know, we say, well, Jesus wouldn't have prayed to himself, you know, but he did. He didn't pray to the Holy Spirit ever. He prayed to the Father. He told us to pray to the Father. But I wanted to point out these passages anyway. Uh, the passage in John, go to John 14. This one is interesting because all that we'll learn a bit here about prayer, not just... Um, the, uh, the problematic thing here that we read, that, that's not going to become so important. First and foremost, how many times did Jesus tell us to pray in the upper room? The upper room discourse is John 13 through 16. And it's, this is the sole place in the Bible where we're told to pray in his name. And it comes from the, the mouth of Jesus himself. And... Uh, <clears throat> We, we will find here, you know, what does it mean, what does it mean to pray in his name? And, and that's going to be the, the brunt of this. It's the most important thing to understand. So look at John 14, 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Uh, in the original language, the me is me. It's just sitting right there. It's a pronoun. And you can't, you can't get rid of it. <laughs> So he doesn't say, if you ask anything in my name, he says it, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Uh, Jesus here does not use prosukamai either. He doesn't use the word that Stephen used, but he uses a very common word for asking. It's used multiple, it's, it's a very common word in the New Testament for asking for anything. You know, you to ask somebody for money or ask somebody for bread and, and here he's using it it's just a common word to ask uh, <clears throat> however it's very obvious that it refers to prayer and in my name is this is where this begins all right so it's it's not stated anywhere else uh, 
Besides here in the Gospel of John, one other passage in Ephesians that we'll look at that's tied to this. But what does it mean in my name? And that's what we really want to grab hold of. That we pray to the Father, I think, is pretty clear. That we pray in his name is also very clear. And we want to really understand that. The mystery for us in this passage is why Jesus is saying that they ask him. I've heard that we pray before our classes, as I told you before, at Corbin University. And uh, oftentimes the professor will ask the kids or me to pray, to open in prayer. And I know there's a few of them that pray to Jesus when they pray. Uh, there's probably a lot more out there that pray to Jesus. And, you know, this is one of the passages that they'll point to. The, the problem with this is that just a few hours later, if you go to John 16:24, if it is even a few hours, this is the same night. Look at John 16:24. He says, "Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy be made full or may be made full." So, what is he asking or instructing them to ask for? Some think that it could be that Jesus is telling them that they can ask him for something, anything, in fact. We'll see what in his name means. That they can ask anything in his name while he is there. Because he's going to change. He's going to change this that very night. Some think <laughs> that Jesus told them that they could ask for from him the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's in Luke 11, which we saw that. where he's, It's in the passage where he says, ask, seek, and knock. And he says, uh, you being evil know how to give your children good gifts. Won't the, He says, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And that's not clarified by him. And the disciples would have, you know, would they have thought to ask for the Holy Spirit? It would have never entered their minds. Uh, that would, to, to them, it would have felt like probably the epitome of arrogance to ask. And what does that even mean? Like, like in our age now, we know that the Holy Spirit indwells us. So, but would they have known that? Would they could have even imagined that the Holy Spirit would have indwelled them? They, they wouldn't have. That none of that becomes clear to them until after the resurrection of Christ. They haven't a clue. They don't even think he's going to get resurrected. Never mind think that the Holy Spirit's going to indwell every one of them. So, um, yeah, it, it's some sketchy things here that are uh, hard to understand. We can't really know exactly, you know, what, when Jesus says, ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. Does he mean before he leaves the earth or does he mean that we could pray to him but the problem becomes, now if you go back to John 15, John 15, 16, either Jesus is confused about prayer or a very short time later, John 15, 16, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. And we have this same thing. It's in my name, right? And it's whatever, in John 14, he said, ask me anything in my name. Here, it's whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Uh, go to John 16, 21. And in that day, you will ask me no question. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you, sh if you shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. So, at the very same night... Jesus says, ask me anything. Later on, he implies, you haven't asked me for anything yet, is what he says in 1624. Until now, you haven't asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive. Does he mean the Holy Spirit? Does he mean ask him for something before he leaves? Or, and then added to this twice in John 15, 16, whatever you ask the Father. And in John 16, 21, whatever you ask the Father. So if these were the only passages about who we're supposed to ask, we'd still be a little bit confused. But then we have, as I'll show you here, you know, coming up, 
And first, I got a couple more. Well, let's do them out of order. Let's be wild. Matthew 6, 9, our Father is in heaven. The disciples ask him, how should we pray? He said, say this. He commands them to pray this. Uh, both in Matthew and in Luke, it's a command. Uh, our Father who is in heaven. Ephesians 2.18, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. In Ephesians 3.14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Galatians 4.6, because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit, uh, sent forth the spirit of his Son in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In uh, Romans 8.15, which I didn't put in here, but we were in there just a little bit ago, we cry out, Abba, Father. So the praying to the Father, the Lord mentions in his name later on in the Upper Room Discourse, early on in the Upper Room Discourse, he says, ask me. Uh, we still can't make great conclusions about that, but what we can conclude is that we pray to the Father in the name of the Son. Uh, just another passage that people use. This is, this is a stretch. The opening of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, all who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that mean pray to him? It's not, it's not clear. It's, a very, it's very stretch, stretchy. And it's the same word that Stephen uses, epikaleo, to call out, uh, to appeal to. You know, so it's not like you have, I would say, and, you, know, I, you know, the theology on this isn't super clear, but we say that we have now no contact with Jesus because he's the mediator and all we do is talk to the Father. I would know. <laughs> I mean, to appeal to him, to fellow, we're to fellowship with him. Does that mean you can't? I say, well, Jesus, I'd love to talk to you. I've done this before, much earlier, when I was a little more uh, stuck in things. I, I tell the Father to tell Jesus that, you know, I'm a big fan, you know. <laughs> pass this on to Jesus that he's really cool. Yeah, I could tell him that myself. But here we're talking about prayer and its protocol. And we have to be careful because the protocol of prayer, we can be so strict with it that we become wooden and mechanical and robotic in prayer. But we also don't want to be flippant and disrespectful in prayer. So it's just like your kids. You can have a personal relationship with your kids, but you, you're not going to let them uh, call you by your first name, you know, at least until they're old, older. <laughs> uh, you know, disrespect you, dishonor you. But you also you can teach them to honor you, or at least try, uh, while maintaining a personal relationship with them. And that's what we're after with the Father. And, and I think for all of us, this takes time. I mean, the best way to learn how to pray is study the Scripture, because prayer has to be based on the Scripture. And also do it. Do it over and every day. And you will find, because... Some of us tend towards more mechanical. Some of us tend trend towards more buddy-buddy with God. You know, we want to call him dad or whatever, as I've heard people do. It just sounds disrespectful to me. But, you know, to some other, somebody else's ear, it doesn't sound disrespectful. So we all have to determine that because we're all believer priests responsible for our own spiritual lives. So, what I really want to get to today is in his name. We pray in the name of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here I'm going to use his full title. I don't think this, well, by the way, Jesus never told us to say his name when we pray. You're not going to find that, uh, even in the Lord's Prayer. He doesn't say, make sure when you close this, say, in my name. We're not actually told to say the words, and yet all of us say them. Uh, <clears throat> I wouldn't get rid of that, because to say the words is to remind ourselves. The problem that we have is that we just kind of tack it on as a sort of, I don't know, like a stamp. 
you know, before you put the letter in the mailbox, you just slap a stamp on it. We slap a, in Jesus' name, amen. And we don't really even think about what it means. Jesus didn't actually tell us to say it. He told us to do it. So it, it's something of substance, not just words. And that's what we want to learn. So back to John 14. Verse 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so please notice, barring the, uh, the issue with asking him, but notice the Father is still here in this passage, and that the Father is glorified in the Son. And so when we're coming to the Father in his name, uh, we're glorifying him. And so what does it mean to glorify him? Uh, well, it means a bunch of things. Uh, and first and foremost, so we'll go, we already read that passage. First is that we can only pray because of the cross. We have to remember that. Uh, we, we lose our thankfulness and our gratitude, which is an incredibly important part of our relationship with God when we take for granted that we're God's children and kind of forget the reason why, uh, which is easy to do, uh, unfortunately. God said to the Israelites before they went into the promised land, he said, make sure you do not forget who gave it to you. So when you're all prosperous in that land with all kinds of money and wealth, and prosperity and protection that I'm going to give you, the promised land flowing with milk and honey, don't forget the giver. And we must not forget the giver. The New Testament abounds with Scripture that proves that the cross of Christ made this all happen. We'd be here for days looking at all of those passages. Only through the cross of Christ are we sons and daughters of God, and therefore only through Him can we call God Father, we can only pray because we call God Father. That, uh, the scripture tells us that we're fully reconciled to the Father. We're imputed with righteousness. We're fully righteous before God, justified before God, and holy in His sight. We're cleansed, forgiven, sons, priests. And uh, Jesus Christ's salvation made us all believer priests, all royal priests, who have full, bold, confident access to the Father. This is stated also in multiple places in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 2, and Hebrews 4, where God says, come to me with boldness and confidence. And the only reason, and we have to, you know, I, we can't see him and, you know, it's a, we're tra- when we pray we're traveling light years, billions of light years to heaven, wherever it is. Well, it's all around us, really, but uh, that is the most holiest, I mean, it's really the only holiest place. This frightfully holy God. And what are we? You know, to be confident in a place like that. Yeah, it's like, if if you're ever at your dirtiest, (laughs) I think for me, it's probably when we're, we're camping for a few days and haven't been able to shower and you just feel absolutely gross. And if we were to walk into like, you know, a, a super clean place, like maybe an operating room or, a, you know, a, a clean room, you just feel wrong. And, and in God's presence, we should feel wrong. Sinners that we are. Even if saved by grace, we're still sinning day by day. And yet we have this boldness to pray, Father, in heaven, you are holy. And so when we say in the name of Christ, we need to remember this. Our Father holds all this truth in it. So technically, that's why Jesus doesn't have to say, once we see what in his name means, really, the fullness of it, that when he gives us the Lord's Prayer, he doesn't have to say, you know, make sure you say this in my name. Because it's in there. It is definitely in there. And first and foremost, we can call God Father. 
secondly, we're, when we're before the Father, we're representatives of the Son. And what this means is, you know, Jesus, we represent Christ on earth. We represent him to our neighbors, to our friends. We're ambassadors for Christ in this world. But in the ancient world, you could never approach a king without a letter of introduction. And uh, even Paul uses this analogy to the Corinthians. He tells the Corinthians that you are our letter. And what Paul meant by that is, we started you, meaning him and Silas and Timothy. They started the Corinthian church. And when the Corinthian church were acting up in all their immorality and strife and jealousy, Paul said to them, look, you're our letter. You know, so quit it. <laughs> because you represent us. Right? This, this is St. Paul's church, they'd say in Corinth. Not that they gave it that name. But this is the church that Paul started. Oh, Really? This place is a mess, right? Everybody's speaking in tongues, talking over one another. Half of you are hung over. Half of you got prostitutes from the Temple of Aphrodite sitting next to you. They were immoral. They're arguing with one another, divisive. They've got, they celebrate the Lord's Supper and all the rich people are at one end and the poor people are starving at the other while the rich people are getting drunk and stuff in their faces. And someone walks in there and said, this is Paul's church. And in the same way, when we're before the Father, we're there in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, it is a great honor to carry his name. In the early church, it was in Antioch where the, the people, they, they were called those of the way, the Christians. But the first time we were called Christians was at Antioch uh, in the book of Acts. And it was, we suspect, it was a name given to us in derision. That, you know, they would say, these are the ones of Christ. But what an honor to carry his name. And in carrying his name, we represent him. Not just to the world, but it's also true before the Father. We are there in the name of Christ and so responsible to act accordingly. If you set up a meeting for someone or something like a job interview for a person who's a stranger to the interviewer and then they go in there uh, and at the interview they act foolish, bad-mannered, insulting. It reflects on you. So they're like, I'm going to send someone to you, interview them, and they act completely stupid. It reflects on you. There's a level of protocol. Before the throne of God, there's a level of protocol, reverence, respect, humility, and honor before the Father. This is what it, when we say we're tacking on real quick in Jesus' name at the end, we need to remember this and, and one more. These two and one more. The only reason we can be there is through the incredible sacrifice of our Lord. And while we're with the Father, we need to be reverent, uh, respectful, not disrespectful. Um, and... That doesn't mean that prayer shouldn't be, uh, it, it means that prayer shouldn't be wooden and mechanical, but it should not be flippant and disrespectful. And what it just takes is some study of the Word of God and praying, and we'll find the right blend of reverence and intimacy and respect with uh, also, uh, sorry, uh, respect with a personal prayer life or a personal relationship with Him. All right, so that's also in his name, uh, representing him before the Father, having an attitude of respect. And then, oh, I left the third one out. Did I do that? Yes, I did. All right, number three is obedience to the will of the Father. Uh, <clears throat> and, and this is the one I really want to talk about the most. Um, names in the Bible mean much more than they do in our modern world. And that is much more true with God's names. God has many names. The Son of God has many titles and many names. Uh, all of his names refer to an aspect of character, uh, of a characteristic of his person. 
just like Paul's name, Paul means little. That was characteristic of his person. And uh, Jesus gave Peter, well, Simon was his birth name, and he called him Petros, called him Rock. And that was on purpose. God's name <coughs> uh, means something. And it always refers to his character. King of kings, Lord of lords. Uh, the wonderful names of him, you know, I am that what I am, which is his self-existence in eternity. Uh, the God who heals. Uh, the Lord your righteousness, the Lord of hosts, which referred to him and his army, uh, and, and the Lord Elohim, the Lord God, um, and many, many more uh, all refer. And to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the Son of Man. The Son of Man refers to him being the Savior of not just Israel, but all the Gentiles. Uh, not all the Gentiles, but the Gentile world. And uh, the Son of God the Lord, which speaks of his authority. Jesus means Savior. Christos, Christ means Anointed One, Messiah. And the whole name, the Lord Jesus Christ, refers to his everything. And so, think of this. I'm before the Father in Jesus' name, and I'm praying sinfully, selfishly, I want my will, not His will. I'm not in the Word. I'm somewhere else. Make me a millionaire. Uh, you know, what am I doing? I'm not in His name. In actuality, I'm in my name. So, here I come to you, Father, in my name. And our gracious God, Father, remember you're His child. He's not going to turn his back on you. Now, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not one who sticks by the prayer doesn't go higher than the ceiling tiles. I don't, I don't stick by that. I, we have an omniscient God who hears in everything that we do. We're, we are children of the Lord that are led by the Spirit all the time. And when we're not praying properly, the Lord absolutely knows that, hears every bit of it, and is going to act accordingly. For our good. Whether it means discipline, he's not going to ignore us. Uh, and I, I, I'm a firm believer, I, I can't prove it. I mean, you can see some of it in the Old Testament, and even in the New, really, where people who don't deserve squat are delivered, blessed by God. And it happens over and over for Israel. Right, if you remember our study of Judges, which was seems like umpteen years ago, that Israel is terrible, 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 and then God brings in the discipline, and they hurt, and they all cry out, "God, save us!" He saves them. Brings in a judge. Here come the judge, and the judge comes and delivers them, and then they're like, "Oh, oh yes, God, we'll follow you." Then they don't, and they get worse and worse and worse and worse. Then God brings in the discipline. With one of the ites comes. Shows up on the doorstep, Amorite, uh, Gideon, not Gideonite, he's a, <laughs> I can't think of the ites, Jebusites, all those guys. And, <clears throat> and then they're like, oh, God, help. And God sends the judge and delivers them. And I'm, I'm con- you know, I know that God, God will do this to show us, pray to me, come to me, follow me. Don't be afraid of me. I'm, I'm all you got. I'm the source of eternal life. I'm the source of life. I'm all you have. But we can't live our whole lives that way. Right? And, and it's just shown to us. Israel eventually is gone. They're not here now. That, the nation that exists over there in Palestine right now is not the client nation of God. They'll be back. But the believers will be at the second coming of Christ. But God wiped them out. There comes an end to it. Uh, And so God, in his grace, teaches us obedience. And so we fall flat on our face. We mess up our lives. God delivers. He delivers. He delivers. But if I keep messing it up, messing it up, messing it up, I'm not learning. I'm not learning anything. 
I'm not learning the life, which is what he wants from me. He wants us to uh, freely, joyfully live eternal life. That's freedom. Right? As, as Paul wrote in Galatians 5, you were set free. You are free in Christ, he said. But then he wrote, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So go to Ephesians 5. We'll develop this a little bit. Again, names mean much more in the Bible than they do in our modern world. And that is much more true with God's names. God, The Son of God has many titles, many names. Uh, it refers to his person, to his character, to his will. When I come to the Father in the name of the Son, I'm coming in obedience. Now, we have to first off talk about the grace of God. Uh, this is not a, a will work for prayer, you know, kind of like a will work for food. This is not, a, you know, it, it, it may, it, does it sound legalistic in your ears to be obedient to have a successful prayer life? But if we think about it, and it doesn't take long to unravel it, is that praying in our own will, selfishly, sinfully, outside of the will of the Lord, it's not effective prayer. It's just, it's not, we say it's really not prayer at all. It's a selfish, you know, kind of like a little brat talking to their parents. And, but, and the parents will do what is necessary. But it's, it's not communication. It's not, what, what prayer is, is the opportunity for the, to the child to speak to the father in the name of the Son and by the power of the Spirit, so in the, in the sphere of the love of the Trinity, to enter into that and to communicate with them, to seek, to knock, and to find. And, uh, you know, and so, as I said, a lot of people, so it seems, just tack on Jesus' name at the end without much thought or much feeling. So saying to the something saying something to the father in Jesus's name is not some sort of incantation that makes the father your slave. Is that I said in Jesus name. So you have to do it. And no, that ain't the case. <clears throat> the fact that we pray in Jesus's name comes entirely from the upper room discourse. John 14 through 16. I was pretty shocked to find that out. I did not know that a few days ago. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name because of John 14 through 16. And here in Ephesians 5 is the only other place it's found. But notice where it's found. Ephesians 5.15 Therefore, be careful how you walk. Now, remember I, I've told you, you should ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Therefore is always a conclusion by the writer, and, and it's, it's, him, it's his way of telling us to either remember what he's written before or to go reread it. And this takes us all the way back to chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. The key word is walk, and walk means lifestyle how we go about our lives, our conduct. So he says to us, be careful. The, <clears throat> the Greek word is watch, look. Be careful is fine. I, I like uh, it's blepo, which means to, to really look, uh, to look where you're going. And he says, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. It doesn't mean that every day is full of evil, I get, in, in a way it does, but it, what it really means there is that you're surrounded by it. It's not a day that goes by where you're not traversing through a world that's surrounded by evil and you've got sin nature within that is longing for that evil. Hence, be careful, look, 
how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, right? unwise. He's reiterating that. But understand what the will of the Lord is. So the contrast to being foolish or to being unwise is wise. And now Paul fills it in. What is wise? We all knew it, but Paul's going to make it clear. It is the will of the Lord. What Understanding it. What is the will of the Lord? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. I love the word dissipation. It's the word for salvation with a negative in front of it. Asatia. And the Greek word means it's not of the saved. Right? So dissipation is not life. Not saved life. So don't get drunk with wine, for that is not saved life. Or dissipation's fine. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So this is a section in and of itself in this great letter of Ephesians. And we have here, outside of John 14 through 16, the one place where we have in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what it is here. There is prayer in this passage. uh, Always giving thanks for all things. To whom? He doesn't specify, but certainly we are to be thankful for the people in our lives, thankful for the people in the royal family of God. But most of all, thankful to the Lord. And right before that, he says, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. And that is definitely an aspect of prayer. Prayer here in singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Notice, singing is the words and the melody is the joy. At at sometimes the melody is a dirge, uh, you know, it's you know like you play at a funeral. You don't play a marching tune at a funeral. You know, you always you always hear that. But that sometimes there's sorrow in our heart, and that's the melody. Um, but there's this response that's the word and the understanding of the word in the whole scope of God's history. And your and my little place in it. You know, the the scripture from Genesis to Revelation is a complete epic. It's an epic. It's the innocence of man, the fall of man, the sin of man, the work of God, the redemption of God, the creation of Israel, uh, and what happens to Israel. The whole world is dependent on Israel. It's amazing how much anti-Semitism is out there. Satan hates Israel and the whole world depends upon them. (laughs) People don't know this, but whatever. It's going to happen whether they know it or they don't. Uh, And yet the Gentiles are part of this. We're, the church, a part of this. As Paul said in Romans, we're grafted into the tree. So all this epic story that ends in a final battle... And that's what it's called. It's the la- it's not end. It's last. Uh, the the last thing. And what is the last thing? The defeat of death. First Corinthians 15. The defeat of death. The final defeat of the Lord. And He's the first fruits in resurrection, and we follow Him in resurrection. And there's no more war, no more sin. No more nothing. No more. This world is gone. But it's not the end. That's actually the beginning. That's just the end of a chapter. A very sad chapter. That is human history. Uh, and you know, we're in that. We're, we're in this epic saga that is the Bible. And um, in the name of the Lord... We are singing and making melody to our heart, in our hearts to the Lord. 
is an aspect of prayer. So, while we're here in, you know, whatever is going on around us or in our lives, in our heads, in our, in our families, in our bodies, um, you know, as we talked about on Sunday, can we see all of that in light of what we really are in Christ Jesus? You know, as Jesus prayed for us in John 17, I want them to be with me where I am. To be in our love, Father. You and me, I and you, and us and them. This is this eternal unity of eternal life. And yet, so Paul says, don't be an idiot. Right? Don't be foolish. And don't get drunk with wine. Drunk with wine doesn't just mean drunkenness. It means everything, including drunkenness, that would be us anesthetizing ourselves because we're unwise and foolish and we're of the dissipation. The dissipation is the not saved life even though we're saved. That's really what the word means. So he says, but be filled with the Spirit. And the filling of the Spirit here speaks of a faith and obedience by which the Spirit will fill you to do what the will of God is. And we're going to talk about that. We probably won't have enough time today, but then we'll get to it tomorrow. Um, And this, this life, apart from being unwise, foolish, and miserable, by which I become an addict to something, I've got speaking to one another, right? So there's a reciprocal relationship in the body of Christ with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Thank God we're not really singing to each other. That would be weird. But what are in the psalms? What are in the hymns? What are in the spiritual songs? They're words. But there's also melody. And melody doesn't mean we have to sing. It's a understood here that we live with song, joy, joyfully, sometimes sorrowfully, but not despairing. You know, as Paul writes in Second Corinthians four, we're, we're broken and not broken, and we're not despairing. We're not crushed. We're definitely perplexed. <laughs> That's the whole book of Ecclesiastes. What in the hell is going on? Uh, we're, we're um, you know, uh, not knocked down, but oppressed, and we suffer. And it's, it's definitely hard and sorrowful sometimes. But we, what is the whole point of that is Paul says, look, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, and we don't lose hope. So psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that's to one another. And then singing and making melody with the Lord. Uh, melody with your heart to the Lord. From within to the Lord, the words, right? The words or the hymns, they got to come from here. And uh, there's actually several hymns that Paul writes. It's unfortunate the New American Standard doesn't pull them out and write them down as hymns. They, they should be taken out of the text and made to look like poems because they are. There's a, there's a very special one that I'm gonna I'm, I'm working on, but uh, <clears throat> and then always giving thanks for how many things. This is a good reminder. <laughs> all things, all things. Uh, I just finished. I'm gonna teach you some of the things. From, I I had to read this book by Bonhoeffer. That's about the community of Christianity. And uh, he's just got some marvelous insight into things. But he did say something that we've said before. It's been a while, but we know it to be true, uh, is don't uh, always be ready to be interrupted by God. You know? And he uses the example, you know, when you're talking to somebody and you're kind of listening to them and you just want them to hurry up and finish so you could say what you have to say? And, you know, you're not, you're not listening. You're not patiently listening. Or, you know, we're about our own business and we would detest anybody interrupting what we're currently doing, which would get us bitter, perturbed, 
And you know, there's there's something to the community of believers uh, that is bonded by love. And that's right here too. But the giving of thanks is for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So where we'll take it from here. We've, uh, this uh, lesson did not get finished here today. But to, to kind of give it a capstone and we'll get to the details on this. Before we further in this truth, in the name of the Lord is we can only pray because of the cross of Christ. That's in the name of the Lord. We represent Christ when we're before the Father. Respect and honor, but not mechanical. You know, Find that relationship that is personal but respectful. That's in the name of the Lord. And thirdly, obedience. That's in the name of the Lord. <coughs> But, you know, for all of this, we say, well, you know, aren't we sinners? If, if I'm to be obedient and in his will, I, I mean, I can't pray anything to God that's outside of his will. I mean, I can, but it's, it's useless. Uh, then, uh, being the sinner that I am, how do I enter into his will? And is this going to be like an incredible struggle? I mean, wh- when Paul says to pray continually... And, yeah, I feel like I sin enough that continually means it's going to be a problem. And can I not come to the Father in the name of Christ if I have sinned? And that becomes a, a, a very legitimate question that needs to be answered by us all. And the answer to that is, don't you dare. No, I'm kidding. Of course you can. Because where are you going to find forgiveness? But with your father. So uh, what we have, and you know, same author, right? The Gospel of John is in 1 John. As we have, which we all know in 1 John 1, 9, is that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what we what we have to see there is that we, conf- we confess it, but we also, it's not just confessing, because this has become a, a trap for many believers. Uh, as Paul writes in Romans 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? We have been forgiven of all things, and we confess. And since we're all sinners, how could we fellowship with one another, which is what John brings out, uh, the fellowship with one another in the body of Christ does do, does sin fellowship with others. See, you know, if I'm in the throes of sin, whatever it may be, sin is selfish. It's self-serving, but in all categories, can I fellowship in sin? I say, well, sure you can. You can fellowship with other sinners who are sinning in the same way you're sinning, but that would not be the fellowship that God calls fellowship. Our fellowship in the body of Christ is love and serving one another, bearing one another's burdens, uh, encouraging one another, considering one another is more important than ourselves, and sin doesn't even want to touch that. Sin doesn't even come close. Sin does the opposite. Sin draws us into ourselves. So we confess, but by the confession... What we know that we have is forgiveness, complete and total. And we can leave it behind. But when Paul said leave it behind, he didn't stop there. And nor does John in this passage, but we'll go to. We'll go to 1 John tomorrow. John doesn't stop there and neither does Paul. Paul says leave it behind and reach forward to that which is ahead. And what that which is ahead is what John talks about here is walking in the light. So, can we pray to God if we've sinned? Absolutely. Confess and pray. But confess, stop the sinful behavior and pray. You say, well, Father, I'm going to confess. I was talking about this with somebody uh, just a few days ago. You know, say, you know, I I don't want to get 
crass, but you know, in the midst of some sin while you're performing it, and you say, well, Father, I confess this, let's talk while you're still sinning. Eh, that's ridiculous. Uh, you know, and can I fellowship with others if I say, hey, look, I've done this, I'm going to confess it to you, but I still keep doing it. I want to confess to you that I think you're stupid and I hate you. Do you want to hang out? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, so, um, you know, we, we're given this grace to know that our slate is clean so that we can confess. And the confession is knowing, look, this, this sin or this particular sin was a problem and it has to stop. And then move on. But move on into what? To walk in the light. And uh, and God has opened up that door for us. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, some believers confess sins and then they fail to strive diligently to walk in the light. They fail to study. They fail to learn. They fail to try. They, they and they confess all the live long day, but they're not they're not walking in the way in the manner that they are called. So, as it says here in Ephesians five again, be careful how you walk. And so what we're going to find in 1 John, he does, John does the same thing Paul does, which is the same thing that Jesus teaches us. They're all in agreement. Is that John is going to say, walk in the light, you're a sinner, confess it. And then he's going to go back to walking again in obedience. And he's going to, he's going to tell us how. And the way that we're going to get victory to you know, to move our lives past just confession only without the and walk. And he's going to tell us how to do that. And it's, and it's the most, it's beautiful and simple, not too complex. And it's to love the Lord. If you love him, Jesus said it. You love me, you'll keep my commands. Paul said it. John said it. Peter, Paul, and Mary, they all said it. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, and thank you for the continuing to teach us through your scripture. Everywhere we turn, every page we look at is full of beautiful truth. May that truth press upon us, Father, that we may forsake the things that are dark and evil and to walk in your beautiful light. And we ask in Christ's name, amen.